Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 112 of the Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Curtis McHale. G'day. Ruben Lerner. Hi, everyone. Eric Davis. Hi. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have a special guest this week, and that's John Sonmez. Yep. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure. Uh, so I uh, I run a company called Simple Programmer. Uh, my uh, basic idea behind the uh, program or the company is to make the complex simple. So that's kind of what I focus on. I'm sort of like a life coach for software developers. I kind of found that calling as, as there is no one doing this. And, you know, I've done a lot of Pluralsight courses and, and training about 55 Pluralsight courses. So I've, I've really focused on the technical side a lot of my career, but I found that there's really a lot of developers that need some help with other areas of their life and just kind of managing their career. And so I've, sort of pulled, uh, you know, all the resources that I've gathered over time, and I've been trying to kind of help out in that area. Awesome. And then you also have another podcast, you said? Yeah, so I have a a, a podcast called Get Up and Code, and that uh, podcast is a podcast for developers for fitness, basically. We have uh, different guests on there. Usually, we, we either have guests that are developers that uh, that have kind of a story of weight loss or you know over transformation, or or we have different fitness people on there. So it's, it's kind of like that intersection of either for someone who is looking to get in shape or learn about diet and nutrition, or someone who's already you know in in that kind of space that that's uh, developer kind of coming at it from that developer mindset. Interesting, fit programmers. I have this idea of what that would look like for me, but I haven't actually experienced it. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, there's there's a lot of um, I was surprised by the amount of interest. There's there's a lot of people that are interested in the in, in this intersection. I mean, a lot of a lot of developers, I think, are you know, we 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 tend to be sedentary, right? So it's like a good audience because a lot of developers are interested in getting in shape or you know just yeah, at least improving their diet or, or something. So. Yeah, so it's it's been it's been kind of fun. We're we're on episode fifty two, so it's been yeah. This will be episode fifty two, so it'll be one year. <laughs> That's awesome, and a year is an awesome uh, milestone to hit. We brought you on today to talk about how to market yourself as a developer. I think this is probably applicable to other uh, service providers, you know, designers or whatever. But uh, I'm I'm kind of curious. Are there like specific things that you ought to be doing or? Are there just kind of general guidelines for doing this? Well, I think, you know, one of the, the biggest things that developer or otherwise, you know, an IT professional should be doing is, is creating a personal brand, having some kind of branding around themselves, specializing, having some kind of niche that they are known for, because that makes it easier to become a brand. And then to get their name out there, to get out there and make it so that there's some recognition of their brand or their name so that, um, you know, by doing that, and, and there's lots of different mediums for doing that, and there's, of course, lots of steps in, in getting all that put together, then it, it just opens up a huge amount of opportunities because, well, you know, it's like one of the things I always talk to uh, when, I, when I'm telling developers about, like, how to get through a job interview the easiest way. So I say, well, you know, the easiest way to get through a job interview is when you walk into the interview and, you know, you shake the interviewer's hand and he kind of looks at you and says, Hey, you know, I recognize you. Oh, I read some of your blog posts. There you go, right? You've, you've pretty much, I mean, that, that interview is going to go pretty well, right? So that's kind of, you know, the real benefit. So I, I kind of, 
encourage developers to to learn about all those things that they need to do to be able to build a brand, you know, get your name out there, and then you get that some of that just a, a little bit of of name recognition goes a really long way. Yeah, and I've talked about that. You know, as a freelancer, like kind of the best marketing you can do is going to get it where a client comes to you and says, I want to hire you. Like there's no question. There's no competition. Like they just want to hire you. They don't, they don't care if there's anyone else out there in the world that can do the same thing you do because they can't, you're, you're unique. You're the only one. And it works the same in job markets too. Yeah, exactly. And that, in fact, you know, that's one of the things a lot of the, a lot of my clients who, who purchase my, my course on how to market yourself, they are consultants. And one of the things that I always, you know, I get asked the question a lot is how do I find work? Cause I do independent consulting as well. And my answer is I don't, I don't, I don't know what it's like to go and look for clients because the thing is, if you build up enough of a, of a reputation, you have a little bit of name recognition. When clients come to you, that's so much, you don't waste the, the overhead of going out and finding them. And then plus, the amount that you're able to charge is a lot, is significantly more when they come to you rather than you asking for business. You've got to, you know, you're not in a very good negotiating position. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So how do you wind up doing that? I mean, um, most of the content that I create, for example, is geared toward other coders. I'm not really creating content that my target market is going to be looking at. I'm not quite sure that's true, though, Chuck. Like, I've had a number of really good clients see me solve a coding problem that they happen to know they have but had no idea how to solve it and then hire me because I was the guy who could probably solve the rest of their problems too. Yeah, it's also like, you know, you solve the problem, they look at how much went into it and they're like, that's way too much work for me to solve myself or even to learn programming. I'm just going to hire Chuck to do the exact same thing he wrote about or talked about and just pay him to do it. Yeah, I find too that there's a lot of of times someone will contact me from my contact uh, form from my blog because they Googled some programming problem that they, they and they weren't a programmer they were a business person that was trying to write some code because they needed their you know to get something done and then they they find my blog and say oh well let me let me contact this guy and see if if he if i can hire him yeah that makes a lot of sense so is is it usually that simple they just find your blog and then click on your link yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's how I get a lot of, of my business right now. And, you know, right now I don't focus fully on, on consulting. I'm more focused on developing a product and, and selling to developers, kind of like you, uh, like you mentioned that you're doing. And so, uh, so I don't spend a, a whole lot of time. I, try, I actually try to turn down a lot of the consulting work because I, I, I want to build products. I feel like that's a, a better, uh, that's kind of where I want to go with my future. But that's pretty much how it's either, you know, that or, or word of mouth is the, the biggest things that I've, I've found to be successful. And, and, you know, it's the thing like getting out there, doing podcasts, getting on other people's podcasts, just like this show, you know, doing the blog posts, doing YouTube videos and things like that, that I find that gets me the, that exposure that brings people to me. Yeah, I really like it. Do you have a plan for this then, or do you just put a ton of content out there and hope that it sticks with somebody? I've gone through a lot of different kind of plans and iterations of them. I'm I'm sort of figuring it out as I go, but I have a schedule. So I, you know, I have a, I've got a, a kind of a complex system where I know, you know, for example, every week I have a blog post that goes out Monday, every Tuesday. An RSS newsletter goes out every Wednesday. A YouTube video goes out Thursday. A blog post about the YouTube video goes out Friday. A Get Up and Code podcast goes out, and a, a kind of what I call a Friendly Friday newsletter goes out. That's 
more of a just kind of exploratory topics. And then on Saturday, a blog post goes out about the podcast. And, uh, and that's, that's my like baseline. So that happens every single week. And then, uh, I also have, uh, you know, queue up my social media tweets and, and the things I'm going to put out at the beginning of the week. And then, you know, the rest of the time that I slot in is devoted towards whatever I'm working on that either it be a product or it might be that I'm trying to market something that I'm selling a little bit better or, you know, writing a book or, or something like that. So it's, it's kind of I, at that baseline that I keep though. That's what's really helped me over the years because that just keeps on growing. Like every single month, there's more people coming to my blog. There's more people viewing the YouTube videos. So, you know, as long as I keep on seeing growth, I keep on doing it. And which of those seem to be the most effective for you? The blog, the social media, the podcast, the newsletter? That's a good question. I, I think I would say overall the blog. I mean, and that's the one thing that I encourage people to to make sure that they do is is to have a, a blog because that's that's where I, I think you know just having that SEO of a lot of people coming from search um, is really important that brings in new people to you know and, and I have a chance to uh, to get them to become fans of, of what I'm doing so I think that's the most successful thing but I think just having the blog alone, you know, there's kind of a synergistic effect because once you start to get into my pipeline and, you, you know, you've visited my blog and maybe you've signed up for my newsletter, then that constant contact and that the constant content that's coming out uh, kind of hooks people in and gets them to be bigger fans of, of what I'm doing. And so I guess you could have a lot of people coming to your blog and that's one thing, but how dedicated are those people and how much do they actually, you know, are they following you and, and care about what you're doing versus, you know, they've just visited your blog one time. Yeah, that makes sense. Sounds a lot like what Eric keeps telling me to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, kind of standard stuff like the blog or in some people's case, like a website. That's, that's your home base. That's where people just hear about you. They're going to look for you and that's the authoritative place to find you. And I mean, I'm looking at your, your blog right now and you've got links to your Twitter, to Facebook, to your YouTube channel, Google Plus. I've seen a couple like opt in forms to get on your newsletter. So it's like, you know, your, your blog or your website is kind of the launching off point to all this. And I even found a couple of links to your products. So it's like, you know, it makes sense that the blog is one of the most important things for you. But I agree that you're going to have to have something to supplement it, like a newsletter or whatever, to keep people coming back. So it's not just a drive-by. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of curious on the blog, um, both in terms of quantity and then in terms of direction. So if I'm looking to do software development or you know, consulting for software companies, should I be aiming my blog at the managers who are going to be hiring consultants? Should I be aiming my blog posts at you know technical topics? So they'll see that I have you know, strong technical chops. Should I mix it up? And then how often do I need to be posting in order to make it seem serious? Okay, so, you know, I I, I guess the, the answer to the, the, the first part of the question, in, in my mind, is, is it depends on what your niche is. I think it's more important rather than figuring out uh, who your necessarily audience is as far as, like, managers or developers, is figuring out what is the niche, like, what are you going to be known for? And kind of the example I always give for this is, um, you know, why to specialize is basically – you know, let's say that your garbage disposal breaks, right? And you go and you, and you look up a plumber and, and you, you see, you know, ABC plumbing and you see Bob's plumbing and then you see Mr. Garbage Disposal Fix-It Man, 
right? <laughs> you're going to, you're probably going to call that guy because he's, he's specialized. He might not be the best. It might be ABC plumbing is the best, but he's going to win most of that market just because he branded, he niched himself down and specialized there. So, so I think really the, the focus is, you know, you got to pick what are you going to be known for? Are you going to be the C++ pointer guy? You know, something specific, the Android uh, list view guy, you know, whatever it is. Um, there was a, a code, uh, a data grid girl. That was a great branding. I, I love that. But, you know, if you pick that branding, I think then it's going to be kind of obvious what to write about. And then your audience is kind of going to solve itself. Like if you, if you just focus on the topic, then anyone looking for that topic, especially, you know, how, depending on how far, how deep you go with that niche, it's going to make it so that uh, you, you become an authority or you dominate that market. And once you dominate a market, then you're going to get plenty of business. I mean, as far as going out and, and trying to get a job, it, it's going to be, the doors just kind of are, are wide open. And there's not many people that, that really focus down, but the ones that do are, are, are extremely successful. And then, you know, as far as the frequency part, I would say that I, I think it, it really depends on how fast you want to gain traction. So a, a lot of developers, but like starting out, I always encourage, uh, you know, try to blog a couple times a week to get the, the traction. And then, you know, at least once a week, at least, because at that pace, it might take you, if you just did once a week, it probably will take you about two years to get traction. And if you do a faster pace a couple times a week, you could, you could speed that up. But after talking to a lot of people that have built successful blogs, it, it seems like that's about the, the point and, and that's the frequency. If it's only once a month or so, it's just, it takes a really long time and you have to have excellent epic content in order for, for people to, to notice you. So I really think, you know, frequency is important. Not everyone has time to blog, you know, three, five times a week. Um, one, one example I'll give you, though, is a buddy of mine, uh, Pinal Dave. He has a blog called SQLAuthority.com. And uh, I actually interviewed him in my course to, to find out what, what was he doing that made him so successful. Um, his blog gets 2 million visitors a month, which is just insane, right? Wow. And, <laughs> and um you know and so i said well what is this what is your secret and you know and he told me he said uh he said i've never revealed this to anyone before but you know when i wake up in the morning before i brush my teeth i'm not allowed to brush my teeth until i have written my blog post for the day so that's his like and he's written a blog post every single day for i think it's been seven years and, and, you know, he's, um, he's, he's based out of India. He, uh, he's focused. He's niched on that one area and he's just, I mean, he gets so much traffic. It's just, it's really crazy, but it was consistency. It was blogging, you know, the, the amount of content out there because that's, you know, as far as SEO traffic that's going to come, it's going to come based on, on the amount of content. You know, the, the more stuff you throw out there, um, you look at like, in the news, we've had the viral Nova site, right? That guy that made, you know, millions of dollars. And, but when you, if you study his model, he blogged like seven times a day. I mean, he did all kinds of other things, but seven times a day per day, that's going to add up really fast. So if I understand what you're saying correctly, basically, first of all, it's a long game, right? It's not like start blogging now and get lots of people next month. But if I'm willing to set my site on a year from now or two years from now and I blog, between, say, one to three times a week, 
and if I have content that's fairly focused and relevant and interesting, then the odds are pretty good in a year or two, I'm going to start having the sorts of patterns that you're describing, which is people seeing me as an authority and then contacting me from all over the world to work with them. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's really true. I mean, I, I go and I talk about this subject at, at a lot of places. And every time that I, I talk about this, I, you know, one of the first questions I ask developers sitting in the room is I say, okay, raise your hand if you have a blog, right? And really, only about, I'd say, 50%, uh, it's to 25% raise their hands. And then I say, okay, now, and, and there might be 100 people in the room, right? And so let, let's say there's 100 people in the room. Then I, I ask, now hold up your hand if you blogged in the last month. And there's usually like five hands up. And then I say, now hold up your hand if you blogged at least once a week for the last four weeks. And sometimes there's one guy holding his hand up, and sometimes there's none. So what I say right there is like, look, see, see this one guy holding his hand up? He's the 1%, right? <laughs> so, so if you want to be in the 1%, all you have to do, the only thing you have to do is just blog every week. Now, I mean, there's obviously more to running a business and more to getting opportunities and, and, and freelancing and things like that. But, you know, you differentiate yourself just by being consistent and just having a one, once a week cadence. That's really interesting. Um, I've gone to New Media Expo the last two years, and it's kind of the big blogging, podcasting, and I think the other term they used was web TV, but basically video content folks. And, uh, you know, there a couple of the experts have talked about stuff like that where it's, look, you have to be consistent. And yep. when you're getting started, they do. They recommend that you blog three to five times a week. And it's basically to get a ton of content out there so that uh, the search engines will find it, index it, and make your site authoritative for whatever topic you're going after. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, it's definitely true. That's a, yeah. I, I I really want to go to New Media Expo uh, conference. I I, uh, I I'm a big fan of of guys like Pat Flynn. Uh, I steal a lot of my strategy from his Be Everywhere strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you were talking about some of that stuff, uh, Michael Hyatt, uh, he wrote the book Platform, mm -hmm. and he talks about outposts, and it's kind of the same idea where you have outposts at all of these different places. So you have an outpost on Twitter, you have an outpost on Facebook, you have an outpost on YouTube, and you can drive traffic that way as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that, and that, you know, it's, I think the central point is that blog, right? And then you're driving it, it, you kind of, kind of look at your strategy. It's like you have all these different outposts and then you're funneling everyone to the one central place where you control the message, where you own the space, you own the domain. Uh, you know, I've got a YouTube channel, but I don't own YouTube. I don't even own my channel, to be honest with you. YouTube mm -hmm. could take it down. They could, you know, same thing with Twitter. They could ban my account, but my blog, it's mine. Like no one can, can control the content there. You know, no one can show ads there unless I, I allow it. So I think that's, that's a good strategy is to have all those outposts and then they're all kind of directing people back to this main place, your home base where you control your branding, control everything. Yeah. And the interesting thing too is that for one, we talked about the email newsletter thing and you're effectively then getting an outpost in their inbox, which is very, very powerful. And then the other thing that was interesting, and this is something that you've done, is he says that you have to have a wow product. And that way when people come in, then they, you know, they have a way to say thanks or to, you know, to get what they want and that kind of thing. And, you know, that's how you build the platform and then make money from it is you have a product that people can't afford not to have. Yeah. I, I just I just want to mention something. We were just uh, 
chatting a bit of the back channel here. So, I mean, I tend to have this view, maybe because I write a magazine column, maybe because I just tend to write long, that if I'm going to do a really good substantive blog post, it's going to be on a big idea and a big topic and really long. And so I wouldn't say I get writer's block so much as I say, well, I need to find the day to write this blog post. And so I think part of the message I'm getting from here and also from the other guys in the back channel is don't do that. Or you can do that on occasion, but it's also okay to write uh, you know, small chunks or smaller ideas. And if you do that on a regular basis, that will also be successful. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I have a, you know, my cadence is once a week for writing my real blog post and I dedicate three Pomodoros to it or basically, you know, an hour and a half. It, sometimes it goes a little bit longer, but I kind of put that time constraint on myself on purpose uh, because I want to make sure that it just gets done every week. Because I know that, you know, it's better in my mind to hit, you know, the 80% quality level or perfection level, you know, of what you could do and, and ship every single week than it is to hit, you know, go up and, and get to the 95%, but, but it only be on a cadence of once a month because, uh, you know, the, the content, the volume of content is, seems to be the most important. As long as you can keep the quality of, you know, it doesn't mean that you just write crap and put it out there but you know you have a well put together thing and sometimes it's it's been weird too like i've had some of the blog posts where i was just like oh this is just junk <laughs> and then that becomes the most popular blog post you know it, it goes all over hacker news or, or or something like that and so yeah so i guess you can't even really predict like what sometimes the things that you think are the most quality thing is actually no one ever cares about but the thing that you just kind of wrote because you had to write something could be the the one that that gets you the most page views yeah that's that's been interesting for me too with the podcasts i mean sometimes we record shows for any of the shows that i do and you know we'll have an episode and i'm just like you know what that wasn't exactly our best episode and then people it takes off you just you know you, you really never know what's gonna strike a chord with people it's just funny is there a length that you do kind of shoot for for your blog posts I, I try to make them at least a thousand words and then somewhere between thousand and fifteen hundred. You know, sometimes if I have really flowing on an idea, I might, I might take it down to, take it to two thousand. Um, I always try to put a couple of images in there. I have, uh, stock photography sites that, like deposit photo that I use that I think that adds a little bit to it. Just, uh, you know, I always make sure that it's proofread. So there's, you know, you know spelling or, or typos, just those kind of basic steps. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. You know, sometimes I target it with a, with a keyword. I, I kind of have two modes. I'm either writing a blog post because I'm targeting a specific keyword or I'm writing a blog post because I just am targeting just an idea. I'm, I'm hoping that it'll go viral or it'll, it'll spread. Usually those two conflict with each other. Interesting. Do you do things in particular to promote your podcast? You know, that I don't do much of, uh, you know, that's, there's only so much time. I eventually want to focus on on doing that. What I've just done is just posted it on my blog. Every time that I release an episode, it goes on the podcast blog on getupandcode.com, but it also goes on simpleprogrammer.com as a post that uh, has a, a link to the show. So that's actually helped a lot. Just the things when I go and I speak, I, I, I mention it when I, when I'm on someone's podcast, you know, just like this where it, it gets mentioned. And so that's kind of helped to grow it, but I haven't really put a, a lot of focus into, you know, I guess one of the things that I've, I've thought about for it is eventually the, the, the podcast will probably need a product, especially in the fitness, uh, you know, there, there's probably a good opportunity for it to have a product. And at that point, then that can actually spend some marketing dollars because there's a sales funnel where it has a return. 
That's interesting. So you tend to build the marketing funnel out first and then find a product for it? Well, I, I would say that um, I think that the, the biggest thing is, is having the, the customer base, but so, so I haven't really hit critical mass on GitHub and Code to have enough customers that there would be a, a product that would really be supported by those customers, I would say. But, um, you know, we're getting, getting pretty close to there. But once there's enough of, uh, I'd say that critical mass, then I think that you can use that critical mass to fund a product, which then you can use to fund advertising. I hate to take the risk of building a sales funnel and a whole marketing channel and actually paid advertising without knowing that there's going to be some kind of return, without it being tested in a market. And kind of the, I look at the community that you've already built up as as kind of a free market. Like you've you're not um, using Twitter ads or Facebook and stuff to to track them. They're if they're excited about the product, if they can help you improve it and they're going to buy it, then I think that it's more likely that you're going to be able to go out and advertise and, and, and bring in more people with it. Yeah, so there are two kinds of products. I think the one that we talk about most on this show is uh, the kind of product where um, it's our time or you know our skill. How do you get people to uh, buy into that kind of thing with a funnel like what we're talking about here? Is there a good way to make those two things connect? Oh, I see. So, like, uh, you're talking about trading time for dollars versus a product where it's not a direct correlation. You're not being I'm, paid an hourly rate. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about the like the digital products in a minute, but I'm I'm kind of curious. You said you have simpleprogrammer.com, which is it sounded like that's where your uh, consulting is done. And so, how do you market there, and how is that different, I guess, from marketing something like your uh, how to market yourself as a programmer product? So that I, I actually don't do anything besides inbound marketing, as far uh-huh. as the consulting side of it. Um, for, kind of for two reasons. One, I get plenty just from from that. Um, you know, my, the simpleprogrammer.com, my my blog gets about about three thousand page views a day. Uh, a lot of it just from SEO. So I really haven't found the need to put ads out there, for example. Um, I'm getting an, enough clients that are more clients than I can handle even after raising rates up. So I, I don't really, and, and that's, like I said, that's not my primary focus. I want to more focus on the, the actual product. Um, I, I see that as a, as a, as a better future for me. I've done, I did independent consulting for a long time and now I want to kind of build something that kind of runs while I sleep to, to say. But yeah, so so I, I really focus on the inbound marketing on that, and that's been the most successful to me because uh, are successful for me because just by constantly producing content, it grows exponentially over time. So like I, I use Twitter ads and and stuff for for my actual product, but as soon as you turn that thing off, the traffic's gone. But with this, it's like you know if I'm constantly producing blog posts and YouTube videos, like it it's it grows every week. Every week, there's more people. It's attracting more traffic. So uh, I really like that aspect of of the of the inbound marketing. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just trying to think through this because uh, it sounds like you've got a, a system that's set up pretty well. I'm actually gonna go back and play back your you know this is what I do on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday because I. I you know, that, that gives me some kind of framework for how I want to do things like this. I can just set aside some time every day to do one of these things each. And then for the actual products, you said that you do some of the, you know, you, you actually do like Twitter ads and stuff. I'm kind of curious how that all works out. 
Sure. Yeah. So, so I'll also be honest with you. This is, this is a new area for me. I'm trying to get into this. You know, I've done some small apps. I've done some small products in the past. This is my biggest product by far is this, uh, how to market yourself as a software developer course. I, I actually just launched this. It's been a month. So I had a pretty, pretty big launch. Um, I think it was about a, a $25,000 launch, which, which I was, I was pretty happy with concerning it was my first major product, but I, I am still learning the ropes on this. So I, I don't profess to be an expert. I have found that I'm, I'm doing a lot of research into sales funnels and setting that up. And I am using like Twitter ads and, and Facebook ads to, uh, my primary mechanism that I'm using is to get someone to, from clicking the ad, not to go directly to my sales page, which I have, a, I'm using a long form sales page to sell the product, but it's too much to ask someone, you know, just, it's, um, just like, you just met me, you just clicked my Twitter ad, now spend uh, $299. I can't really educate the, the customer about the value in that, in that time frame. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, it has a huge value for someone, especially if I can lend you one client or increase your hourly rate by, you know, 20 or 30% or 100%, but I have to have the time to educate. So what I've been focusing on is taking that traffic that's coming from those paid ads and then sending it to a landing page where I'm just collecting an email address and I'm, I'm giving away something free or I'm, I'm offering, you know, future value. And then from there, when they get on that email list, I have an autoresponder sequence and I'm still working on, on getting it set up. But that sequence basically gives some value. It gives some of my best content out and, you know, gives a, a, about a f- bunch of free, free things to kind of put someone on the path of understanding, okay, why do you need to market yourself? Why is this course something that's going to be valuable to you? How are you going to make a return on it? And then, you know, along the way, it hopefully will sell the product. So that's kind of the strategy that, that I've put together. And like I said, I'm, I'm new to this aspect of it. Um, so far it's working out well, but there's a lot of room for improvement in, in what I've got going right now. Yeah, that's actually very similar to the one I'm using for two of my books. And I mean, it's, it's like that. You always have room for improvement, but there's a lot of moving parts. And so there's lots of areas you can improve. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of the, the adage, you know, always be testing, you know, always be seeing if you can you know, tweak one thing or improve something in one area and see what that does. And it, it works, but it's a very long game. Yeah. It's, it's exciting though. I think it's, you know, it's definitely something that's been real thrilling for me to, to figure out because there's a lot to learn and there's, it's kind of a whole new, uh, you know, whole new, whole new field to explore, especially copywriting. Gosh, isn't that the hardest profession ever? <laughs> oh, I love it though. Yeah. It's rewarding when you, when you, when you hit that, you know, cause, cause you can have something that you write, you could have an email that converts at, you know, at like 2%. But then you can, you can rewrite that email and then all of a sudden it's converting at like 20%. It's like 10 times the conversion rate. And it's just because of, you know, you changed the headline or, or you, you, you wrote a more compelling copy. So it's, it's definitely an exciting, exciting thing. I can see why a lot of people get into copywriting and also why copywriters, professional copywriters charge so much money for that service. Right. And especially like I, I approach it as kind of, you know, programmer technical background. And like I was talking in chat earlier, I think yesterday, I'm running some advertising and I changed like three or four words and it wasn't a significant change, but it actually doubled my click through rate. And it went from like really good to, wow, is this actually an error? Good. And, you know, it's the ability to tweak and kind of change the variables and see what kind of response and data like that. To me, as you know, a technical person, as an analytics type person, like that's fun. That's enjoyable. But 
uh, Eric, you also have to have the traffic that's efficient to actually do such testing, right? Like if you're getting two people a day, five people a day, then it's probably not enough to run some tests, I'm assuming. It depends. I mean, it's you can say that, but I mean, like Curtis just said, you can run it longer. I mean, you can wait longer to get traffic. Or if something jumps like that where it's actually double the conversion rate, you need less traffic to statistically prove that it's better. You know, it's it's so much better that I mean, I, that test ran for, I think, four days, and it's not really a high-volume advertising campaign I'm doing there. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the other thing you can do to get the trial, like, you can, uh, w- one thing I do, to, <laughs> I've been using Twitter to actually test headlines, not for the purpose of of attracting traffic to actually go to a landing page, but just for A-B split-testing headlines, because you get a, a ridiculous amount of exposures for a very small price, so you can see what the engagement rate ends up being. And so that's a kind of a cheap way to test A-B tests, uh, just, just a headline part or, or some idea, some kind of concept that you're, you're trying to do that you can put into a, tw- a, a tweet. Yeah. I really, I really like the idea of being able to reach out and, you know, try out different things and see how that all works out. Are there any other things that people kind of miss when they start doing this kind of marketing? Let me see. So I'm trying to think what we've covered. I mean, the biggest thing by far is coming up with a niche. Is coming up with a niche and branding yourself and learning about what a brand is. You know, a brand is not just an image. It's not just a logo. It's a promise, an expectation that someone has about you or your company and being consistent on that expectation. It's a message. Um, so I think that's, that's like the number one thing. I'm trying to think of other things I cover in the course. I talked about building the blog. It's really important to to get that up and have your home base that that you control. Um, I think we talked a little bit about the social media aspect. Um, I don't put as much emphasis on social media because I don't get, I mean, when I send out a a tweet, there's so much out there right now. Like I I don't get a lot of engagement from that. That's that's not not the most effective platform. A lot of people are saying, oh, social media, social media, that's how you market, that's how you brand yourself. I, I really have to disagree. I think you have to have a presence out there because it's expected, but you can't really count on that. You know, the best thing that you can do is be consistent there. But, um, so it's necessary, but it's, it's not, you know, the be all end all. I think for a lot of developers, one big aspect is, is their resume. You know, even if you're trying to just get clients as an independent consultant, but having a good resume that I always recommend having a professional resume writer write the resume. And then the other ways of getting your name out there, which um, we talked about a lot, but you know, I, I have a concerted effort to focus on what are all the mediums. You know, my blog, you know, writing is a medium. I can do a podcast. I have my own podcast, but I can also ask people, hey, you know, I know running a podcast that it's hard to get guests sometimes. And so if you have a good idea and you approach someone who's running a podcast and you say, hey, um, you know, I'd like to talk about this topic. You know, I think your, your viewers would be, or listeners would be interested in it. That's a great way to get your name out there. I've used that a, a couple of times and it's been really effective. The video medium. Uh, let's see, the writing a book, whether, you know, not everyone can get a, a book published by a big publisher, but anyone can self-publish. LeanPub is, you know, a good resource for self-publishing, real easy, makes it real easy for you to do. I, I've got a couple of buddies, Derek Bailey and, and Josh Earl, who've been really successful uh, doing self-publishing, and, and it, it just helps build authority around your niche. I'm trying to think what else... There, there's of course a talking, you know, speaking at, not everyone can get invited to speak at a, at a big developer conference, but 
anyone can go to a code camp and speak or go to user groups and, you know, and eventually work their way up. And so I think the big thing is just focusing on all of those different channels. And if you're focusing on all those different channels and you've got a consistent brand and you figured out what that is and you've got a good niche, then there's a real good chance that you're going to dominate whatever niche or market that you're trying to dominate. And anyone in that space is going to know who you are. And once that happens, the doors fly open, like opportunity just starts coming and, and being a path to you. I actually have a fair number of people who call me because I do, you know, writing and I speak at conferences and everything, but it often then works out, you know, they're interested in having me work as a full-timer or they're not really interested in hiring consulting rates. Um, is there any way that I can market myself? I realize it's more sort of a sales thing and pricing thing, but is there a way that I can tweak that marketing so that people who call me realize that they're going to have to pay more, that I'm interested in consulting, as opposed to me having a conversation with them and then having to disappoint both of us. Hmm. So filtering your audience or your, your target to, to be the one that, that you know is in your price range that, and, and is, is, is in line with what you're trying to do, right? Yeah. I, I think a, a lot of it comes down to being really focused on, on a niche, on a, you know, whatever your specialty is. I think that it depends on what it is. I think that, I mean, you can have that problem. I still have a lot of recruiters that call me up and if they, you know, I run my own company, I don't want a job. Then they say, how much? Well, no, I don't, I don't want that. So I haven't completely figured that out, to be honest. One thing that I do is if you go to my about me page on simpleprogrammer.com and I, and I just make this common knowledge, I say my consulting rate, my hourly rate is $300 an hour. That's my minimum rate. So someone who wants to contact me, they go, there first usually and they see that and that's what they they know what the expectation is already you know i'm not apologetic about it that's the reason why i have that rate when someone asks me as i say i've got a lot of business you know i, I don't actually want to focus on consulting full-time so you know i'm focusing on a lot of product stuff so that's what i have to charge in order to reduce the the number of clients down to what i can manage and the other thing that I think you can do is, which especially as, as, as my rate went up, one thing I started qualifying clients is, is I would say, you don't want to hire me to write code, to just sit there and write code, because that's probably going to be a waste of, of your money. It's better if you're going to hire me, hire me to advise your team to do a higher level function. You know, so I think by pitching it as it's, um, if you, if you pitch yourself as someone who can write code, or you pitch yourself as someone who can develop WordPress sites or someone who can design websites or, or whatever it is, that has a, it's a commodity, right? Someone can fix, they can say, well, wait a minute, you can't charge a couple hundred dollars now, or I can hire this guy to write code, or I can hire this guy to design websites. But if you can bill yourself as, I'm someone who increases your profitability by using uh, marketing techniques to design an aesthetically pleasing website, right? Or if you, if you say, I can improve your bottom line, I fix the leaks in your, in your development team and make your entire development team more profitable. Like if that's how you're billing yourself is, is somewhere where you're not billing yourself as a commodity, but as someone who actually makes money for that person where that's your, your primary focus is you still might be a web developer, but you're not saying I'm a web developer. You're saying I'm a person who increases your cash flow by doing X in this particular niche, then I think that justifies the higher rate because that that makes it very clear that you're providing value. You're not a commodity. The, the hardest thing that I think that we're fighting right now, and I think we're seeing this in, in for software developers, is that there's a big 
push for commoditization of, of what we're doing. And so you've got to kind of be able to break out of that and show why you're not a commodity, why you're different, why, why you're someone that isn't just a, a, a code writer or someone who just develops websites. Right, that's very true. I, I really like that, and I've, I've had conversations with people before where, and I've been in this situation before too, where, you know, if I was giving them advice about anything outside of the code base, they wouldn't listen to me, or they just didn't care, and I know other people have had that problem as well. And it's it's funny because, you know, I'm I'm running a business here too, and, you know, I've, I've uh, suffered through some of the things that, that some of my clients are suffering through at the time, and I know how to handle them, and it's it's just funny how often you get blown off where you could actually save them several hours of effort just by talking to them for a half hour. And so oh. I, li- I like billing it and setting it up and saying, look, you know, I'm, I'm here as an advisor. I'm here to, I'm here to be an expert in this. And I also have expertise in these other things. Yeah. I mean, it's just like that example earlier. We talked about the, the plumber versus, you know, the garbage disposal specialist, you know, if they came to you and, you know, they fixed it and then they gave you fitness advice, you'd probably blow them off, but it could have been that they're ex-Marine and they actually like know all this stuff, but you hired them in the role of a plumber. And so they're kind of pigeonholed into that. And so it's hard for them to give you advice outside of that. And so the branding and setting that up ahead of time is kind of important. So you're saying that we should specialize or developers in general should specialize. Let's say I have several interests or several potential specialties. How do I choose? Should it be based on profitability or my interests? Um, and, and can I sort of choose one as the low-hanging fruit with a plan of, uh, shall we say, expanding my specificity in the future? Right. So, so that's, yeah, I, actually, that's a good question. That's, that's something that I get a lot, which it's, it's tough. I mean, it's, I'm not going to pretend like it's easy. I mean, almost every developer that I talk to you that they, they say, well, I, I'm interested in all these areas. Which one do I, and I don't want to pigeonhole myself into one area. And, you know, my answer to that is you've got to be careful when you select what you specialize in, but you need to specialize. It's more important. It doesn't matter what you pick. As long as you specialize in something, you're going to be a lot more chance of being successful. Uh, you're never going to build a name for yourself, you know, be, be well known as being a developer. It's just, it's not going to happen unless you, you, you have to have a specialty and then maybe you get famous first and then, and then you become a general. Like, you know, a good example is like, take Bob Martin, right? Uncle Bob, right? He specialized in C++ at first, right? That was his big thing. He, he was on the old Usenet, you know, groups and was, was a C++ guru. And that was his specialty. And now, now he's known as, you know, Uncle Bob, general wisdom, great coder, right? So, so, so he was able to, to, to get there, but just starting out trying to market yourself as that, that would be, it would be a horrible way to go. You'd be, you'd be no way because your market is too big. So what you got to do is you got to slice down the market to the size that is not too small where, where there's no money in it, but as small as possible where there's money in it. Because like I said, there's no one right now that I know of that's the Android list view guy, right? <laughs> or gal. And, and I, I use that as an example because Android list views are kind of difficult to work with. It's a very, very small specialization, but just about every Android developer has to deal with this. And if you specialize all the way down to that part, you could dominate that market easily. I mean, you could be the person that does all the conference talks on that thing, that writes the article, the magazine articles, that, you know, your blog is all dedicated to that thing, and you're going to dominate that market. So that's the thing to consider really is, you know, I, I wouldn't say that 
obviously you have to have some passion to be able to develop enough content. You know, a good test is, could I write 50 blog posts about this, this particular subject? But you've got to really use some business sense, I think, in, in figuring out the specialization, which is, uh, you know, does it narrow things down far enough where it creates a small enough market that I can dominate, but there's enough money in that market that makes it worth it? There's a lot of people competing in the Angular JS space right now. But that doesn't rule it out. It's going to be really hard to be known as an Angular JS guru. But maybe if you could specialize a little bit further into Angular JS and and figure out, you know, wh- where can you cut out, a, carve out a little piece of that market, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the strategy that that I would recommend is is figuring out how how can you get that market, that's huge big market, down to smaller and smaller pieces where you can build an expertise out. And you don't even have to be an expert right now. Just you know, if you focus small enough, you can learn more than than you can be the authority in that area in a short amount of time because your focus is so small. Where everyone else is, you know, they're they're broadly focused. I really like it, and I really really um, have kind of been struggling with the same thing that that Reuven pointed out. In that, you know, I'm interested in all of these different things. So how do I pick one? But I definitely see the benefit of specializing and being able to to focus. It's sort of like those, uh, you know, those um, those people you know that they went to college, right, and they could never figure out what their major was, so they they didn't really major, so they you know they picked liberal arts, so they picked something, you know, they just took their general classes, and then where are they now, right? They complain because they can't get a job now. They got to go back to co- like, you know, you you kind of want to go back and say you just shake them and say, look, just pick something, right? You no matter what you pick, you would have been better off if you would have just picked something. Um, and that, and that's kind of the thing that, that I'm always shaking developers and telling them, just pick something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we've been talking for about an hour, and we usually start to wrap things up. Are there any other areas that we need to discuss before we get to the picks? Let me see. I'm trying to think. Of, I think we, we've covered a lot of, of the kind of stuff that, that I really talk about, about how to market yourself. You know, I, I just go into more details in my course, but this is basically the kind of things that, that, I, that I cover if it's okay with you guys, I I did uh, have a hundred dollar discount coupon code I could give out on the podcast for everyone who's listening. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, that's that's outrageous. We would never allow that. It's only <laughs> one coupon, so we got to fight for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the course normally goes for for two hundred ninety nine dollars. You can find it at devcareerboost.com, or you can just go to Simple Programmer and and, and find it there. But devcareer Boost.com will take you right there. And, uh, and I'll, I'll give a hundred dollar discount to anyone who's listening to the show and who's made it this far and puts in the, the coupon code freelancer at the checkout. Awesome. John, one, one quick additional question for you. Your suggestions, your techniques, do you find, I mean, I'm, I work in, live in Israel and so I do a lot of remote work. Do you find that these techniques end up getting you a lot of work sort of remotely people contacting you all over the world or do they still pay attention to geography and contact you from relatively close to where you are? You know, I, I get pretty much remote work. I've gotten a few local things, but most of my work is remote and most of it is over the, you know, over Skype. Aside from training, when I go to do, do some training or training opportunities that I've had, um, even then I, I really try to encourage us to say, well, look, we can, we can do this virtual and, and, and save, save some money. So I haven't found that geography is, is much of a, 
of an issue. I guess it really, it might depend. I would think it would depend on your target, like on your market. So, you know, I, I would imagine like if you, for government, like let's say you're targeting government, I imagine you're going to travel. You're not, I, I don't imagine that they're going to want to do things over the phone or over Skype. So I think that it's really going to depend on, on the market. But I, I've always, I always try to first um, get clients to just, let's just operate remotely because it seems to, it's the easiest thing for everyone. So, yeah. So that's, that's good. I mean, cause I'm sure we have listeners also who are not exactly working or living next to a high tech Mecca and, uh, it might, uh, you know, that, that's good for them to know too. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the picks. Curtis, do you want to start us off with the picks? Oh boy, do I ever. <laughs> so I got, two, I've got two picks today. One is Smart Money, Smart Kids, which is a new book by Dave Ramsey about raising your kids money smart. Uh, which my wife has finished and says is awesome and I'm about to start. And the second one uh, ties in really well with our topic uh, today. It's a plugin for WordPress called Orbiter. It's one of those funny ones that only has a vowel at the beginning. It's O-R-B-T-R, and the link will be in the show notes. And it actually allows you to track your users through your sites. So as soon as someone makes a comment, it will actually allow you to tag them and give the user name and everything based on the comment information. You can actually backtrack to say, oh, they've been on my site for six months and they keep coming back. And I don't have quite enough data yet, but it looks like I can track them across all three of my sites as well. So I can actually follow someone, okay, say from my personal blog to my WordPress one and even into my agency site to hiring me. And then if you're paying for the $99 a month, you can do, I guess what they call orbits, but that's basically like circling or tagging someone to kind of tag them. And then you can deliver content on your site to them that fits what they're looking at. Awesome. Plus one on smart money, smart kids. I'm about halfway through it. Really good. Reuven, what are your picks? Okay, I got uh, three picks for today. First of all, in a semi-repeat um, pick, I mentioned a few months ago, I think, Tom Standage, who's writing I really like. And he just came out with a new book called Writing on the Wall, the first 2,000 years of social media. So I finally got a copy, and I'm almost done with it, and I am just completely loving it. So if you're interested in technology, history of technology, internet stuff, which probably covers a large proportion of our listeners, um, I definitely, definitely recommend this book. Um, I also mentioned, I guess, in a, a semi-repeat, I mentioned a few weeks ago the new Cosmos uh, that Neil deGrasse Tyson is doing, which I'm enjoying I'm enjoying with my family. Um, he also does, it turns out, a podcast called Star Talk Radio, which is a little on the kitschy side, which is, I guess, sort of typical for him, but it's actually interesting and fun. And uh, the, the fun ones especially, I think, are the ones where he gets questions from listeners and answers their questions about space and science. And sometimes he has guests uh, who answer interesting questions, too. Um, and the third thing is, uh, as everyone knows, I do uh, a lot of teaching, um, and so I'm always looking for good visual aids when I'm teaching. Um, and just as, uh, I guess, in another semi-repeat, a few months ago I mentioned the Python Tutor, uh, which lets you visualize how things look in Python. So I recently found a Git visualization aid, which uh, I actually used just yesterday in a Git course that I gave, and it really, really was nice. Uh, first of all, it's, it looks much better than anything I could ever draw on a whiteboard, partly because the text is actually legible. Um, and secondly, the fact that it's animated really helps people understand when you say to them, this is what happens when you merge, and this is what happens when you rebase, and they all give you blank stares. Well, not that they give me blank stares, right? But in theory, if they give you blank stares, then you could show this to them, and they'll understand it better. So um, anyway, those are my picks for this week. All right. Eric, what are your picks? Okay, so my pick, I'm using this basically as like a source of inspiration. Don't look at it and like freak out. I follow a lot of fiction writing, and one podcast I listened to had a guy on, his name's Matt, and I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name, but he did the the annual NaNoWriMo, which is where you write a 50,000-word novel in a month, 
Well, he did 50,000 words in a day. You know, we're talking about getting blog content, writing, all that. Like, you can write extremely fast. And it's very inspiring because, like, it, he talks about how he plans, how he kind of figures out what he's going to write, and then actually does the writing. Um, so if you want to get into writing or blogging, but you kind of feel like writer's block or you just don't know what you're going to say, um, maybe you can get some stuff from this. There's even like a cheat sheet of like how to learn how to write faster that's included. So it's, it's a really good, uh, really good podcast. And it's, it's kind of inspiring to like make me want to do it more. And he says in the, the show, like his goal for the next year is like even more extreme, which I'll let you to find out. Awesome. All right. I'm going to go ahead and throw out a couple of picks. I've picked this one on the show before. I'm pretty sure, but it's platform by Michael Hyatt. And I'll go ahead and put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, I just listened to it again on Audible and it's super good. And it outlines a lot of the stuff that we talked about and gives you some guidelines on how to do it. And I was going to pick Smart Money, Smart Kids, but uh, I got preempted there. So <laughs> I, 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 think I'm, I think I'm done. John, what are your picks? My first one is a, a application called Kanban Flow. I was using a combination of Trello and a Pomodoro timer, but this app does both. So that's pretty cool because Trello doesn't have Pomodoro timers in it. Like you can't um, just, a, I don't know if everyone's familiar with the Pomodoro technique, but uh, yeah. just, okay. So, you know, the 25 mm-hmm. minutes or, or so, but the Kanban flow is really cool because it, it lets you basically create the cards and then you can use the, track the time on them. And I've been using that. I, I have a, I use it to create a, a Monday through Sunday board that just has like all these swim lanes set for each day of the week. And I slot things, you know, this is going to take three Pomodoros or two Pomodoros, whatever. And I know that I'm going to do about 50 to 60 in a week and I can just slot my whole week that way. So that's a pretty cool tool. Let's see. Then the other one I have is Workflowy. And basically what it is, is it's a, a task list. It's, it's like a, you could think of it as like a, a infinite nesting list, but it's, um, I was using Evernote to do this, but the problem is Evernote's lists, they kind of stink. They're not the greatest. So, um, so this application basically is just lists that you can make and you can drill down into them and you can check things off and you can write notes and you can share them with everyone. It, it's a real good way to organize, uh, kind of, you know, brainstorm and outline what you're, what you're planning on doing. So I use that for a lot of my projects to go into, into detail. And then, uh, and then I have a book, this book I recommend all the time because it's one of my all time favorite books called War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And uh, I, I really think that everyone, uh, especially anyone who's a freelancer, should read this book. Uh, anyone doing any kind of product work, um, just because it is such a good book that really kicks you in the butt and makes you realize that you're not alone in the battle, that we all fight this battle of, of resistance, of this, this force that's basically working against us that, you know, that sometimes the hardest part is just sitting down to do the work. And so this book, uh, I've listened to it, uh, I listened to to it on audible.com, but, um, I try to get audio versions of the book, but, uh, but I've listened to it probably at least 10 times and it's just a, a great motivational book when you, f- when you don't feel like working. Awesome. Yeah. I've read do the work, which is an awesome, mm-hmm. another really good one by Stephen Pressfield. So I'll have to check that out. All right. Well, thanks for coming, John. Really good stuff. And, uh, hopefully we've inspired a few people to go out and figure out how to market themselves as a software developer or other freelancer. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be on the show anytime. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.